Have you, I'm sure you have, but have you ever thought about your future? Uh, And by that, I don't just mean tomorrow or next week or next month, but especially when you're young and you're thinking about getting out of high school or you're in college or trade school and you're thinking about what's going to happen after graduation, after I get done with this program that I'm in, or after I finish this internship or apprenticeship, what's going to happen? Or you're single and you're wondering, well, am I going to get married? Who will I get married to? Will I have a family? What's going to happen? Or perhaps you wonder even, what's going to happen to America? We see our culture changing and disintegrating around us, and we wonder What's going to happen here? There is such a great divide and such tension that it's like, well, I don't think things are going to continue as they were. Things are changing. But in what way will they change? Well, I, I, will, I admit that I think about the future, and I would love to know the future. Um, and I think that um, we all would like to know the future. We would like to be able to control the future if we can. And certainly uh, there is within us that desire to, to use the expression, hedge our bets, to, you know, prepare for the worst. And as we read in our text in Deuteronomy 29, as the children of Israel, the Israelites were standing in the plains of Moab before they crossed the Jordan and entered into Canaan, they were warned about uh, the temptation to follow the idols or to pick up the idols of the nations that they were going to uh, cast out of Canaan, that they were going to conquer. Uh, There's the Baal and the Ashtoreth uh, and and other gods of the Canaanites. Well, you would say, well, that's kind of stupid, right? I mean, they have seen God bring them out of Egypt. Um, Those who are young enough under 40, uh, saw God open up the Red Sea when they were children or teenagers. They saw this. They they knew this. Uh, They experienced it. Their parents died in the wilderness, but they saw God provide the manna and the quail. And already, right before this passage that we read, they had conquered lands on the east side uh, of Ammon uh, and they, they saw God's deliverance. Why would, they, why would they go after these idols? Well, I think because within us, that desire to try to secure our future, try to hedge our bets, we want a good outcome. Um, we want it, and, and there is within us that desire, and it's a good desire to uh, prepare for the future. You know, we, we save money, we invest. We plan for retirement. Uh, we, we take out insurance. And these are all good things. But um, we have to also factor the Lord into the future. Um, I've had people ask me, and I've asked this myself growing up. I grew up in a Baptist church. What is God's will for my life? Uh, well, I don't. 
I, I never got a really good answer. But I think that the Bible does speak to the answer uh, of what is God's will. And um, the way that it's used in Scripture, there's two ways. Uh, God's will is what is declared, and then that which is decreed. And I think sometimes people get the two confused. Uh, declared, like a declaration, this is a statement. God says, this is what I want. God's decreed will, on the other hand, is that which he's planned in his sovereignty. He has eternal decrees, and so his plans are his alone, and they are his secret counsel. So this evening, I'd, I'd like to discuss you know, the, the two aspects of God's will. First of all, there is God's declared will. Well, God's will is something that is to be obeyed. Um, we see that in Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is saying about on Judgment Day, he says, <clears throat> can you find it here? Let's see. Twenty-seven, verse 21. Uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Uh, Psalm 143, verse 10, also speaks uh, where the psalmist says, you know, teach me, teach me your way, uh, teach me, um, teach me to do your will. Verse 10, Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. There's also Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul is speaking about um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, the case I'm trying to make to you is that God's will is something to be obeyed. God's will is expected to be understood and to be carried out. Um, and God's will is what he, he wants his people, how he wants his people to live. And so, for example, in Romans chapter 12, we are to be living sacrifices. You know, we're not to you know throw ourselves on an altar and 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 die, but instead, all of life is to be lived before the Lord, and so we are continual sacrifice, living before the Lord, and that as we live and as we go through life, we don't conform to the world, 
but instead we renew our minds. And how do we renew our minds? We, we know that, um, as David said in Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We renew our minds by getting into the word of God, reading it, and meditating on it, and memorizing it. But then, of course, living it out. And then when we read it, and memorize, and meditate on it, and then live it out and obey it, we do understand that what is the will of God, that it is good and acceptable and perfect. Um, so God's will, his declared will, is what he wants to have his people do. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism in question 124 uh, deals with the area of the third petition in the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, the third petition is what, you know, the question is, what does it mean? And the answer is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any back talk uh, to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, Thy will be done, we're not saying, Hey, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be, your will be done. But instead we're saying, Make us willing to obey your uh, will, to do your will, to carry it out. And as Moses said to the people here in Deuteronomy 29, he said that you may do all the words of this law. This is, um, the law is what was given by God through Moses. So sometimes it's called the law of Moses or the law of the Lord or the law of God or it's just simply the law. This is God's commands. This is in the Old Testament, but it is upheld into the New Testament. Of course, Jesus fulfilled the law, and he fulfilled all the righteous requirements of the law, and the sacrificial part of the law, the Levitical part, Jesus uh, replaced by his death on the cross, by his sacrifice, that he became the great high priest, that the writer of Hebrews talks about. And so Jesus did away with um, the Levitical part, but the moral law is still in effect and it is for us to obey. Um, and we see that it is for God's people because in the giving of the law, at the very beginning, there is that first statement, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the land of slavery. And then we, we go into the Ten Commandments. It starts with God. It starts with God taking the initiative, God saving us, God rescuing us, and redeeming us. And as his redeemed people, this is how God wants us to live. Um, getting back to the Heidelberg um, Question 88 asks, 
what is um, what is involved in genuine repentance and conversion? Well, the answer is two things: the dying away of the old self and the rising up, uh, the rising to life of the new. And uh, what is question eighty-nine? What is the dying away of the old self? It is to be genuinely sorry for sins and more and more to hate and run away from it. Then 90 asks the question, so what is the rising to life of the new self? Wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good works. And of course, 91 says, well, what are the good works? And only those which are done out of true faith and conform to God's law are done for his glory, you know, and not those that are based on our own opinions or human tradition. So God's will is to obey the laws that he has given. And not only his, I mean, laws, but all commandments, even if it's not in the law of Moses. We find in uh, the New Testament, there are explicit statements where uh, we hear about or read about the will of God. In 2 Peter 3, verse 8 and 9, it says, you know, do not overlook this one thing, beloved, that with the Lord a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Um, that's how the ESV states it. In other translations, it's that it is God's will that none should perish, so that God's elect will be saved. Um, in um, Ephesians, we read that it is God's will that we be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, in 1 Peter chapter 3, it speaks about it is God's will that we suffer. And I mentioned suffering this morning. And as Jesus pointed out, uh, I think in, in John 15, he said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted the master, they will also persecute you. Um, so I don't particularly like the idea of suffering. I don't think anyone does. But it is part of God's plan for our lives. And it is explicitly stated in First Peter that it is God's will that we suffer. But it also is God's will that we give thanks unto the Lord. And it is God's will that we be submissive one to another. And then finally, it is God's will that we be sanctified. Now, you may point out to me, aha, pastor, um, aren't we declared? I mean, we're, we're told that we are to be sanctified, but isn't that God's plan from the beginning? I mean, if you look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, God loved us before the foundation of the world. And he predestined us to be made holy, that is, to be sanctified. And this is where God's decreed 
will and his declared will come together in our sanctification. Yes, before you were even conceived, before you began life on this earth, from eternity past, you were planned to be sanctified. But because of that, you're also to work on your sanctification. And so it is God's will that you be sanctified. Well, as I said, I think people confuse God's decreed will and his declared will. In his decreed will, God has plans that he has made from beyond the foundation of the world, from what we say eternity past. God is not limited or confined by time and space like we are. God has no beginning and he has no end. He is infinite and eternal. And at some point, God has made plans for creation. And, of course, people can debate whether or not God planned for the fall. Um, and, like, when, when did that happen? But God knew it would happen, and he planned for the redemption of humanity. And so God has plans, but they belong to him. As we see in our text in Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, the secret things belong to God. It's not for us to know. We cannot possibly know the mind of the Lord, and we don't know the plans that he has made. Um, as I said beginning, I think we all have the impulse of wanting to know the future so that we can avoid the bad things. If we know that there's a detour, um, like my wife and I drove up from Ireton, and so we came through Rock Valley so we could avoid some road construction. You know, we knew about that, and we avoided it. You know, if you can know what to avoid, you're going to take steps to do that. And that's wise, but there's no way that we can know the future. And if you knew the future, and then you tried to prevent the bad things from happening, then it wouldn't happen. So then what was the point of knowing the future? Because the bad that you avoided, that you were told, oh, this, this will happen to you on such and such a day, and you prevent it from happening, well, then that wasn't really the future, was it? So I don't, I mean, logically, I don't think it's even possible for us to know the future. We would have to be outside of time to be able to see what we would call the future. I think that there are some of us, certainly, that we don't like to make mistakes. And I think there's erroneous teaching, uh, certainly among uh, probably our Arminian brothers and sisters, um, thinking that somehow we have a certain power in our choices. And so we're contemplating perhaps two jobs. Should I go to work here or there? Or should I you know, take this job in Minneapolis or should I go to Sioux Falls? You know, which, which is, uh, I mean, if I go to Minneapolis, if that's outside of God's will, um, you know, I don't want to be outside of God's will. Well, that's impossible. The Bible affirms throughout Old and New Testament 
God is sovereign. He's in control. There's no way to be outside of his plan. So if you're not supposed to be in Minneapolis, you're not going to be there or you're not going to stay there for long. You know, but it's not a question of is it moral? Is it is it right or wrong to go to Minneapolis or go to Sioux Falls or or whatever the choice may be? Those are just silly examples. The point is if there isn't a question of um, of sin, of morality, it's not as though you're saying, well, hmm, I wonder if I should go to New Orleans or if I should go to Las Vegas and work in a den of iniquity in a, you know, a casino or something like that. It's like, okay, that's a little bit different. God's word does speak to things like that where, yeah, you're, don't take that job. If it's going to cause you to sin, don't take that job. But if it's a choice and there's no moral issue and it's a, uh, a or B, well, you'll have to decide with the wisdom, with the information God has provided you, make a choice. It's not going to be a wrong choice. It's not as though, oh, you know, I'm going to be like Jonah, who was supposed to go to Nineveh, but instead he goes in the opposite direction. You know, I was supposed to go to Sioux Falls, but instead I took the job in Minneapolis. Jonah is not, a, that is not a good example. That's bad exegesis. Jonah was a prophet, and God spoke directly to him, and God gave him a mission, and that was to take the gospel to his enemies, to go to the hated Assyrians and to preach uh, destruction and call for repentance and Jonah didn't want to do that because Jonah knew God is gracious and full of mercy. And if the people of Nineveh heard the message of the coming judgment and destruction, that they just might repent. And if they repented, God would, would uh, stay his hand and not bring about that judgment. And Jonah didn't want to do that. He hated the Assyrians. And so he ran away from God. So that's not an example to turn to and say, well, I don't want to be like Jonah. Well, of course you don't. Don't be disobedient. Instead, you know, The whole point is be obedient to what God has declared. We have the Old Testament, but also all the commandments, all the principles and precepts that we find that explain the law. And we find that also carry through in the New Testament all the commandments, the commandments of Jesus, the commandments of the apostles that have been written down and recorded for us, as well as the things that have been explicitly stated. So don't confuse these two. Um, we focus on what is declared. We do and obey the law of God. We, we are confident that God's will is that we be saved and that we be spirit-filled. And certainly, if we are spirit-filled, there will be fruit of that. It's God's will that we do suffer. And yes, we, we want to minimize suffering. And, and certainly, when we're suffering, we pray for relief. But it's also God's will that we be a thankful people, that as we recognize and understand God's grace, 
in salvation and in all of life. We say thank you to God. It's also God's will that we be submissive to the authorities. And certainly, uh, that doesn't mean a blanket submission, but looking at, for example, Acts chapter 5, where Peter and John and the other apostles said to the Sanhedrin, you know, is it better that we obey God or man? We're going to obey God. So we submit to the civil authorities or to any authority in our life, to your pastor, to your church council. You submit to those that God has put into authority as long as they are under God's authority. And then finally, it's God's will that you be sanctified. God wants you to live holy lives. We are to pursue holiness. So, as we think about the future, don't be anxious about the future. Going back to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus said here, um, that um, we are, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't confuse the declared and the decreed will. Do what's declared. Trust God with, with what he has decreed. And do not be anxious. You have a God who loves you, who is for you, who likes you and will take care of you, whatever that future may be. Amen. And amen. All right, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, what we read in Deuteronomy in chapter 29. Lord, we thank you that we can trust the secret things to you. And we thank you that we are not to be anxious. It's hard, Lord. I confess I struggle with anxiety. I worry about the future, and I shouldn't. And I pray your forgiveness, but I also ask and pray that no one here would be anxious about tomorrow or about the future, however far out it may be. Help us to trust you. Help us to lay our concerns before you. Help us to pursue holy lives, to live blamelessly before your face. Lord, help us to focus on those things. Lord, we thank you, and may we be people of the word who apply it and live it out. We pray for this, and so we ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and sing number 530 in the Trinity hymnal, the, the red hymnal, Teach Me Thy Way, O 